Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're keeping your head up these challenging and unique times. Today, we are talking with my friend, Sean Hanks. Sean is the president of Premier Speakers Bureau, one of the best bureaus in all the land, one of the fit, one of my favorite people in the speaking industry. Uh, and it's not just me. Most uh, everyone that I've talked to who knows Sean just says like, Sean is the best. So excited to have uh, Sean for a couple minutes here in this really busy time for him. As uh, again, his world and the speaking bureaus been rattled and rocked. And so we uh, we talk about that, how they're handling it, how it's kind of unfolded for him, his advice for speakers, the things he's seeing with virtual speaking, uh, and just keeping your head in the in the right place during all of this. So lots to get to with uh, my buddy, Sean Hanks. So uh, let's jump into it. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Bolden here today, joined by my friend, Mr. Sean Hanks from the uh, Premier Speakers Bureau here in Nashville. Sean, we are in some unprecedented times here in the speaking world. How uh, how are you doing? How are you holding up? Grant, it's funny you say that. I have repeatedly said I wish I copyrighted the word unprecedented <laughs> two weeks ago because I would have made a fortune. Man, that word perfectly sums up where we find ourselves today, doesn't it? Right. right. Un it's unprecedented. It is, uh, and not just like in the speaking industry. Obviously, it's it's unique world because we're, it's affecting everyone. I did a uh, a podcast interview yesterday with a guy for his show, and he um, he was in, I was asking where he was from, and and he said he lives in Cape Town, South Africa. And so I immediately like, hey, how's things going there? And he said we're going into lockdown on Thursday tomorrow at this point. Um, and so just knowing like anyone you talk with anywhere on the planet is being affected in, in one way or another by this. So this is a it's pretty bizarre right now, huh? I guess there is some comfort in a shared experience, even a lousy one, right? Yeah. Which this is a lousy shared experience. It does make you feel some amount of comfort, not better, I guess, but you just go, okay, well, other people are experiencing this. It's not unique to me. And right. most people, many people have it much worse than certainly I do, you do, our families do. So it's, I try to keep perspective and not complain too much because- right. It is unprecedented, but we I mean, literally have people who are losing their lives and all that. So, um, yeah, any kind of business context conversation, I try to give context to this is important. And we're talking about livelihoods and lives and yeah. careers, things that people have worked on for decades, 10, 20, 30 years and built something yeah. um, in that context. It's important to talk about it because it's crucial to the companies they've built. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the company you're involved in is certainly, I know, in the in the thick of it as well. So if we go back a couple of weeks ago, you and I, um, you and I, have, uh, we talk on a regular basis. We do breakfast, uh, you know, sure. every couple months or so. And um, so I remember texting you a couple of weeks ago. Uh, hey, how you doing? How you feeling? And I remember, you know, you're kind of like, I, I mean, as of now, it's fine. But it it seemed like it it 
really escalated quickly <laughs> for, for most speakers where, you know, one day everyone's like, yeah, I think we're good. We're good. There was a, an event planner. Uh, I had an event in uh, April uh, and I had messaged him. This was uh, like the previous Friday. So about a week and a half ago or so. Um, and he's like, yeah, as of now all systems go. And then um, the following, so this was a week ago today, he emailed me. He's like, there's no way we can do this. And so, um, but I, we hopped on the phone, we we're talking about it. And he said that Friday, he said, I drew, I drove home from work thinking like, I think, I think we're in the clear on this. I think we're going to be fine. He's like, I got into work Monday morning. I was like, there's no way we can pull off this event. And it just seemed like that for so many people, uh, especially speakers I've talked to that are like, I think we're going to be okay. And you know, then maybe one event postponed and then another one, and then boom, just like a, a yep. whole ton of them over the course of a you know short period of time. So how is it? been from your perspective over the past couple of weeks? Yeah, Grant, I think that text exchange was probably near Monday, March the 2nd, because that felt like a line in the sand. If you had asked me on even that Monday morning, what's going on? I was like, man, yeah. this is going to be tough. A few events are going to be affected. And yeah. then fast forward a day or two. And we, I mean, from our perspective, Premier, we've got about 2000 events just to give some perspective that will play this year, which is an amazing, um, yeah. Uh, success story for us. That's the largest year we've ever had. Um, but you got, you know, as a speaker, the busiest times of that are March through May yep. and then September through maybe late October, early November. Um, we'll have about 400 events that as of a few weeks ago, were questioning, what do we do? Do we put extra hand sanitizer out? Those types of things. Right. Fast forward a week later and two weeks later, we, most of our models say we'll have about 400 events that will be postponed and rescheduled, which having been in this industry through 9-11, which I don't think is a great comparison, the yeah. economic downturn probably will be into the fall because industries are going to take a while to turn back on once we get through this. Um, that whole postpone and reschedule at a massive volume, I think is the most unprecedented part of this once you get past the medical issues that we've yeah. mentioned on the front end. But just taking 400 events and taking them literally from the busiest first half of the season of the year and moving them, probably some mixture of busiest second half of the season, the fall, and then the spring of next year, um, that is just a massive undertaking and I, I keep telling speakers and other bureaus that we partner with, this is the lost quarter. I mean, the Q2 of 2020 will go down as the lost quarter of the year because effectively when you're postponing and rescheduling events, you have a ton of events who kind of have a credit towards a, their next future event. Yeah. So speakers, if you had a ton of events in quarter two, those are going to be spread out on quarter three or four maybe quarter three, most likely quarter four, yeah. and then the first quarter of 2021, which do the math, and that does not help the bottom line. Right. I was yep. uh, I was just pulling back here in our text thread here. I first asked you February 28th, how's all this virus crap affecting you guys? I uh, probably said what virus? <laughs> yeah, well, you said uh, we've had a couple of events canceled so far, but probably more to come. Um yeah. And it was just kind of like, I think we were both just kind of like skimming through here. Both of us were kind of like, yeah, you know, it'll probably fade out. Not that big a deal. And now, I mean, here we are again, less than a month away. And it's just like, what, 
what just happened? Like how this is crazy. So, uh, all right, I got, I got several questions for you. One of the things that you mentioned was, you know, you've had, you know, 400 plus events that have been affected by this. Are you finding that most of them, um, well, do you have any rough breakdown of how many have been canceled versus rescheduled and postponed? Cause I think I always try to make the distinction here for speakers. Cause some, a bunch are saying like, well, I've had a bunch of events canceled. It's like, are they canceled like straight up like they were happening and now they're just not happening and you didn't get paid? Right. Or are you finding that most of them, what I've seen is most of them are being rescheduled and postponed, meaning you're going to get paid. The event's going to happen. It's just not on the timeline that you first anticipated. So what are you kind of seeing across the board? Great. I think that is the question of the hour, day, week, month, and quarter. Um, yeah. Because um, force majeure is a term that no one knew what it meant Um a month ago, and now everyone uses it probably in every conversation that they find themselves in right now. Um, our force majeure, and I think most other bureaus and most speakers say, you don't just get to outright cancel event planner. Um, you essentially have to postpone the event until what is affecting the event has passed, and then you reschedule the event. Um, the, the messy part of that is those were built for the most part, I think, for tornadoes and hurricanes and oh no the hotel's uh, convention center caught on fire and it's you know it can't be re uh, rebuilt for two months whatever that is we are in a place right now with force majeure that um, no one knows when the end of this comes so um, we're in a limbo phase so cancellation is a specific thing right it is there's money will change hands and a contract will terminate or end Force majeure is not that. It is suspension of a contract. And I, I would encourage every speaker to be smart with how they approach that, whether they're working with directly with an event planner or with a bureau. Um, but to answer your specific question, out of those 400s, our, our, my estimates and our, our leadership team's estimates is if we can keep that at about 10% of cancellations, which is what we've seen so far. So um, those 400 haven't all been affected yet because we still have a number of events in May that are crossing their fingers, hoping for a miracle. That's probably less likely today than it was yesterday. Yeah. Um, but if we can keep that number at about 10%, so we cancel 40. Um, and then, you know, that that's when it's truly a contractual phase of this is canceled. The speaker gets some amount of money because they've lost value. They lost the date of inventory that has real value to them. Um, but, but honestly, I mean, those are, I heard someone say yesterday on a Zoom call that those are snowflakes right now. I mean, we're truly handling everyone on a case-by-case -case basis, the snowflake analogy being every snowflake is different and every event is different, right? I mean, it, yeah. there are some that the speaker, if you have a great client who's booked you eight times, 10 times and says, I have to cancel this event, I would suggest you're probably going to handle that differently or wisely would handle it differently than a client that you've never worked with before and you may never work with again. I mean, those are things that you massage as you go. Well, and to that point, it seems like um, right now that so many of the decisions that speakers do make with, uh, with clients, uh, the things that they do or don't do can have really long-term implications and, and ramifications of, you know, if you do the wrong thing right now, and who knows what wrong means at this point, but, um, but it may be the type of thing where this event was a one and done thing versus the way you, that you could potentially handle this with a client may be worth 10 events for you in the future that they're like, you treated me so well during this weird unknown phase of the speaking industry that therefore we want to work with you for 
all of our events for the foreseeable future. Uh, is there anything that you're encouraging speakers to do or anything, I guess, like as, as someone who you are kind of the, you know, the, the mediator between the, the events and the, uh, the speakers, anything that you're encouraged that you are communicating to event planners and or speakers about the best way that they should be handling it? Yeah, that's a really fair question and a good one. Um, first of all, I would, you'd mentioned, you know, what is the wrong way to handle things right now? I think wrong still follows suit. Obviously there's right and wrong in the sense that if you contracted something, you, you live up to the terms of the contract. Right. Um, but in the wrong, I think you, you meant it or the sense is that continues. Don't burn bridges. Don't destroy relationships, um, over money. That's easy to say when everyone's doing really well and making great money. Mm -hmm. uh, I understand there's a huge amount of fear and anxiety and just questions of what, what comes next. I mean, if I'm a speaker and you know, I've got 50 events on the calendar and 25 of them almost overnight, literally maybe within a week disappear off my calendar. That's a terrifying thing. You've got infrastructure, you got people to work for you, you got staff, all these, you know, capital costs. Um, I would say operating out of fear in any phase of life is the wrong move because you usually make poor decisions that later on you look back and think, man, I wish I had to handle that differently. So I, in that sense, I would say do what you know is the right thing to do in the sense that if this is a transactional thing for you, then I would say enforce a contract um, as you would see fit. If this is a relational approach, you do really have to take them case by case basis. Um, as I said, contractually for us, we're starting at every event for now is under force majeure, meaning you can't cancel client, but every one of those is a conversation and probably five conversations with the event planner. Yeah. If you're right, we uniquely sit in the middle um, and then three, four, five conversations with the speaker to say, we have contractual leverage. What do we do with it? Um, how far do we push and, and multiply that times 400? that's some heavy lifting over the course of, you know, a month or so starting a few weeks ago. Right. Now, and I, and the, I had a couple of events in, in April that, um, were kind of a similar situation and, and that they, at this point they're, they're kind of like, here's some scenarios of how we could see this play out. But again, part of the challenge is like, we, we don't, we don't really know how this is going to go or how long this is going to last. Is this something that, you know, we're going to be back to business as usual in the next couple of weeks or months, or is this going to take up the rest of the year? Like none of, none of us really know. It kind of, um, sure. you know, to your point with like nine 11, nine 11 was obviously like, you know, the, uh, this, this crazy horrific situation that happened, but for most of us, again, not to, not to make light of it, but it didn't, you know, it didn't dramatically affect our day to day. You know, I didn't live in New York city. Um, and so, uh, it's it changed some of that side of it. Right. Um, versus like, this is something that's affecting everyone everywhere. So it's, it's, it's tough to, I don't know. It's tough. It's tough to know how to approach it or think about it. I've seen several events though, that are going to more of a virtual approach, um, or not necessarily just events, but speakers who are trying to think through, you know, virtual options for them. Uh, are there any, anything that you have seen work well as a speaker, maybe trying to transition or pivot a, um, a paid event, um, that's a, a physical in-person event to some type of virtual thing, any speakers that you've seen done this well, or any way that you're thinking about approaching it with, with events? Yeah. Uh, I Right now, we are delineating between two types of virtual events. So you have the event planner and us and the speaker, the bureau and the speaker, who are attempting to rescue um, or salvage existing events. So you had an event contracted from May 1st for 500 people to show up in Las Vegas. 
obviously that's not going to happen. Um, so you ask the speaker to do some type of virtual presentation. Everyone jumps into Zoom or whatever the technology is used to produce that. Those we have found are way more forgiving because they are attempting to salvage something that already exists. Um, this The other type of virtual event that we see a number of speakers are launching and some speakers have had it for years and are relaunching it because it's never been a huge part of their business are the virtual presentations um, for the fall and spring. And those are event planners who say, hey, I'm going to try this new model and build an event around this versus those that are trying to rescue an existing event. Um, the thing that I suggest to speakers, and I've heard so many speakers um, mention this to me in private conversations, is be aware that it is a completely different product. Um, if you speak for 60 minutes, you're probably a, an amazing speaker on stage for 60 minutes. You know the jokes, you know the ebbs and flows of the emotion, you know the point that you want to make. Guess what? Those jokes don't land on a Zoom call. Like they, yeah. be, be prepared for that. I was talking to a mutual friend of ours this morning, John Acuff, and he said, man, I've he, he's had some virtual products out in the market and has done um, he's done about some volume and they've been very well received. And some have even been turned in. People have licensed that content to turn it into to training material. Um, but he said, I, I have figured out quickly, like jokes don't work. He leans a lot on humor to make points. Um, so understanding right now, the reflex reaction is going to be, well, I'm just going to put myself in front of a camera and start doing this. Um, that's a much more difficult thing, especially when you've priced it out as a product and not as not as something that is salvaging an event. People have a much lower tolerance for quality and success there. When they buy it in the future, I think the standards will be very high. And I just want speakers to think that through, not saying don't do it, just be sensitive and aware that what you're offering, they're buying a product and they want it to be um, error-free. They don't want any tech issues. Um, they want to be able to press play on it. Um, not maybe not in a literal sense, but definitely in a figurative sense right. and be able to have a successful event. So what would you say are some of the things that speakers can learn from this? Cause obviously this is the type of thing that is not like, uh, we're going to look back on and be like, Oh, that was kind of a weird thing. Like this is a, a transformative thing. That's going to change a lot of businesses and change a lot of lives. Uh, what are the things that let's say, a, oh, hypothetically a year from now, it's back to business as usual. What are the things that you think speakers will hopefully learn from this or things that they can do different in their business model to prevent these type of um, catastrophic events affecting their, their business in the future? Yeah. Grant, I think the first one is stuff, something that our moms and grandmothers and dads taught us a long time ago is you can't operate hoping the next check comes in to pay for the last bill. Um, that's not to lecture anyone on how to operate a business or run their personal lives. Um, but it is it, it becomes apparent very quickly um, working with vendors, everyone, but speakers in this case for this conversation who their first question is, hey, can I get the deposit for an event, whatever that is, because I need that just to make payroll or for cash flow. I, I am sensitive to that. That's a painful place to be. I know it's a scary place to be. Um, I do think, I hope we'll, we'll learn some lessons that um, you have to operate slim before you grow to have cash reserves and have um, a, a cushion of sorts that you can operate for several months without a huge amount of uh, cash incoming. Um, because ultimately that 
that's a lesson that's going to benefit everyone long term. Implement those things when we do have the next big bumper growth and everybody's successful. Um, learn from this moment in that way. But I would say also, Grant, what we just mentioned, building out some other content that even when you're speaking, I'm a huge advocate. You and I have talked about this. I, I think because it's happened for thousands of years, there will always be a huge market um, relative to the economy of a thought, le- a thought leader being paid to go stand on a stage and communicate an important idea uh, to a group of people. We didn't create that. We happen to work in this industry. That's been around for thousands and thousands of years. That's not going away, but making yourself more attractive in that process. Hey, I still am a professional speaker who makes the bulk of their income um, off of speaking. I think that's great. No, that's the business we're in. Um, also be the professional speaker who makes the bulk of their income off speaking, who also creates extra articles and content and video and sends it out to their clients months before so they can sprinkle it out to their attendees. Thinking forward in that way, how can I add value to my to my clients? Um, that worked before. It'll work even more um, right now. I, a friend, Josh Linkner, I think we both know Josh, count him right. as a friend. Great guy. Josh is a terrific speaker. He's an even better um relational builder. I mean, when, when someone books Josh, he's a, a very high speed, high fee speaker. Uh, Josh has the success that most speakers want. I can tell you, Josh does, I promise you more than most speakers um, to keep client, make clients happy and keep clients happy. And that's the reason he has been so successful. It's not also, it's because Josh texts the client when he gets off the airplane and he buys him Starbucks to, and brings them a drink, you know, while they're setting up chairs. And those are old examples. But, it, it, and I know Josh, we've been messaging back and forth. We were on some calls together the other day. I know he's thinking of the next idea right now of how can I make a client feel better about booking me than just delivering a great keynote. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, one of the things you touched on there, I, I really resonate with and, and gives me a lot of confidence is, like you said, the, the speaking industry is one that has been around for a long time. It will continue to be around for a long time uh, as we all eventually come out of this quarantine that we're either you know uh, have to be in or, or have chosen to be in. Uh, I think even more so people are going to crave that human connection and, cr- and crave like getting together. Uh, and, and again, the events will always, always have a place uh, in the world. So I want to wrap up with this. Uh, I know that uh, in this world of uncertainty where we've had just a, this crazy couple of weeks, I know that you interact with a lot of speakers. You talk with a lot of speakers, both publicly and privately. Uh, I'm sure right now you've had plenty of conversations with speakers who are like, man, I don't, I don't know how my business is going to make it. Or I don't know if I do I need to get a job or I'm not sure how I'm going to pay my mortgage or my rent next month or groceries and just like some really rough stuff. And so it's, sure. it's kind of the balance of, of looking at this, like, well, you know, it'll, it'll pass. It'll be okay. You know, versus like, man, this is legit. This is serious deal. So is there anything that you are saying to speakers or encouraging speakers with just to keep their head in the right spot? Like it kind of reminds me like for so many of us, we try to be the, you know, motivational pep talk from stage, but now we're kind of in the opposite side of it going like, I got to give that motivational pep talk to myself. So, uh, any, any words of wisdom that you would, you would give to speakers just to, to keep their head on, in the game? Yeah. Great question, Grant. I had a zoom call with a bunch of speakers two days ago and I started it with, this isn't going to be good news, but the next few weeks and months are going to suck. And that's a harsh way to put it. And it's a, it's not the nicest way to put it, but I really wanted that to sink in. And I, I've told our staff that as well. Like the, the next few weeks and months are not going to be easy. We're, we are all going to be working to rescue and salvage events. 
that for the most part on paper, we've already been paid on. So most likely we will be spending the next few weeks and months um, working for free, saving events, uh, keeping the horses in the corral, so to speak, versus letting them get out. Um, and so I, I think an amount of reality is instructive and helpful for everyone, because if you're hopeful that the whole thing's going to turn around tomorrow, it, the reality is it's just not. And if it, it, as the economy comes starts to come back online, we've learned from history, it doesn't do it overnight. It takes weeks and months. So even if we're past the social distancing element in the next few weeks, I'm more optimistic and bullish on the fact that we need to account for our economy as a, it's not a binary choice. Do you save lives or make money? Those things, there has to be some gray in the middle because the economy um, keeps people out of poverty and it keeps unemployment down, all those things. Another part of the conversation for another day. Um, I do think we are going to move towards that in the next few weeks because we have to as a country um, and trying to be smart about protecting others and elderly and high risk. Um, but even if that's the case, I'll make up a date and say that happens on May 1st. Today is March something. Um, if that happens on May 1st, the economy doesn't come back online on May 1st. The economy comes back slowly over months. So um, I would say the the first thing is a, a healthy dose of reality. You do need to prepare for some hard times ahead. Um, but history is a great teacher. It, it's the best teacher of what's going to happen in the future. And the economy does come back. You will have to tweak and pivot and you'll have to build in some content about how to rebuild your business and how to take a business that was strong, that struggled and rebuild it. I mean, thinking through what do your clients want to hear from you um, six months from now, it's not going to be the exact same content they wanted to hear from you when their stock price is at an all time high. But the encouragement is and the reality is it will come back. Your job is to be prepared for it and lead others to that point. Um, you can't sit in your basement and wish that it would come back. You've got to do something to build towards that. Let me ask you one other question you, you kind of triggered in my mind there. Um, for a lot of speakers who are seeing this, and obviously this is affecting everybody, every possible industry, um, my concern would be at the end of this, uh, when we are resuming business as normal, that uh, speakers everywhere are going to you know, make big pivots and repositions in terms of their talk and talking about dealing with change and, and that type of thing. And everyone kind of becomes a speaker that it speaks about, you know, coronavirus and what we have been through. Uh, how do you find the right balance there of addressing this, you know, elephant in the room that we've all dealt with, but not like, okay, I'm going to scrap everything I've ever known and go this, or I'm going to, you know, build a new keynote around this. Uh, how do you find that right middle ground? Yeah, it, I would suggest, and I, I think a lot of smart speakers and people smarter than me, I would say in our industry would say, if you're, if you start out as a speaker or go to create content and say, what do people want to hear? That's a, a failure point when you, as, as you try to launch new content and product, I've always thought the best version of a speaker is someone who has something to say that people want to hear, right? So not looking around and saying, oh, five years ago, well, social media is hot now or 10 years ago, yeah. whatever it was. I'm going to become a social media speaker. No, don't do that. One, it's not authentic. Two, you've already been beaten to the punch. Like other people are better at it than you. Um, that's not to say don't build in, in a great new material, but don't look at the market and say, what do people want to hear? You figure out what, what you have to say, um, certainly fit it into the market. So I would say a month ago or 
two weeks ago, if you were a leadership speaker, you still need to be a leadership speaker in November. But what you're talking about is how to lead through a very difficult time when people had to, leaders had to lay off 20% of their staff or 10% of their staff. How do you motivate people um, to do 100% of the work when there's only 80% of the staff? All, all those pieces. And I think to some degree, those questions answer themselves because as you're talking to clients, and I'm talking about as you're going to clients saying, hey, you had me booked, um, the event's postponed. What can I do for the next three months to add value to a future event that we don't know a date on? I promise you that will mean a huge amount to that client and they will invest in you as a speaker to help you flesh out that content. So you're going to be talking to 10 clients who have events that are postponed and you don't know when the new event date is. Use them as a sounding board and say, I want to add value and write two or three articles for your team over the next six months. What things are they coming to you and struggling with? And what are the issues your leadership team are really fighting and struggling through right now? You're going to have more intel from that group than you ever will by Googling, you know, what the next uh, great trend is, because that those are the great trends, what right. people are actually dealing with. Uh, and last but not least, uh, if you had someone who came to you as a speaker and said, hey, I am interested in becoming a speaker. I want to build my speaking business. Um, and Sean, I'm looking for you to tell me what's one book that you would recommend as the go-to resource for, oh. You didn't, you, you didn't know that I had it. Oh. I was good. I was going to ask you, can I ask you one question, Grant? One question. <laughs> Are there any books that you recommend? <laughs> hey, Grant, we kid. I know you and your buddy, Jeff Goins, you guys think alike. You're smart guys. You've done a lot in our industry. The fact that one of you um, thought to write this book and then both of you said, hey, let's collaborate on this. This really is, we'll make a punchline out of it because it's self-serving for a second. <laughs> this is this is a great uh, book of content. I've told you for years, speakers ask me, what should I do to become a speaker? And I would say, I don't know, which is not the answer they wanted because I run a speakers bureau um, because there's a lot of junk in the market and I won't name any names, but Google it and you'll find them. And it said, pay me $5,000 and I'll make you a great speaker. And they didn't. It's just pay me $5,000. You've got legit info. The people watching this are watching it because they've gone through your legit info. So I'm proud of you in that way because you came to market with something people actually need and had been paying for and didn't get. So good job. Thank, Thank you, you for sir. that. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate your friendship. Uh, depending on how long this lasts, let me just encourage everyone that uh, if you're discouraged, you need to pick me up on Halloween. You want to go to the Hank's house. Uh, they give out full size candy bars. One of the only people in town that does that. So go visit Sean Hanks for a full size candy bar. Uh, not they. Heather, my wife, who's a much better person than me and my children, my four kids give out full-size candy bars. Now, the the time I came to your house, you were passing them out and I was excited <laughs> to see you. I was trying to get them out of the house. I have to work out for every one of those I eat. Well, Sean, thanks for the time, man. We uh, we appreciate it. Uh, again, I appreciate your friendship. Everyone that I know who knows you says that, that you are one of their favorite people in the speaking industry. So we appreciate all you do for uh, the speaking world. Keep your head up, keep fighting, and uh, we appreciate you. You too, buddy. Hang in there. We'll talk to you soon. All right, man. 
All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sean Hanks from Premier Speakers Bureau. Like I've mentioned before, we are doing these uh, conversations nearly every single day via Facebook Live and YouTube. And so we want to be able to uh, continue to do what we can to serve and support you during this difficult, unprecedented time. Sean and I like that word. Uh, so uh, keep your head up. Keep doing what you're doing. Your your message matters and the world needs it. So uh, we need you, speakers. So uh, keep doing what you're doing. We'll uh, talk to you soon, my friends. You're awesome. <laughs>